0: will participate a little bit with me. So if you're not gonna participate, this is gonna be a horrible start to the sermon, but what's gonna happen is on the screen, there's gonna be two different options. And what I need you to do is when I count to three, I need you to say what is your favorite, what you believe to be the best of the two options. Okay, so I'll say one, two, three, and then we will say what we believe the best option is. Every single one of us out loud, please. Otherwise, it's gonna completely flop. So anyways, up on the screen, do you believe... That basketball or football is better. Ready? One, one, wait till three. <laughs> one, two, three, basketball. Okay, that was pretty split, pretty split. Okay, next, we'll move on to the next one. Harry Potter or Star Wars. One, two, three, Harry Potter. I don't know. Somebody yelled really loud over here, Star Wars. So maybe, maybe we'll give it to them. Okay, country music or rock and roll. Ready? One, two, three country music. Man, I'm so proud of you guys. You guys are waiting until three. This is awesome. This might be the most important one. McDonald's or Wendy's on three. One, two, three. Yes. Wendy's for sure. No doubt about it. And then um, musicals or non-musicals. One, two, three. Yes. Well, probably musicals. Okay. Well, thank you for your participation. That didn't completely flop. Thank you so much. But what I want us to see is that what we believe determines the trajectory of our lives. What we believe, no matter how small that belief is, changes how we live our lives. For example, if you're at home watching TV, you're just sitting on the couch watching TV, and you see that a basketball game is on and a football game is on based on what you believe, will decide what channel you click on. You'll probably click on a basketball game because that's better anyways. Or let's say you're driving on Freedom Drive in Springfield and you see McDonald's and you see Wendy's and you think to yourself, do I want a Big Mac or do I want a Baconator? And you make the, the decision, which is to go get a Baconator from Wendy's. So, so the beliefs that you have, they determine the life That You live and if that's true about small little things like TV channels and which restaurant you're going to how much more so about the big things in life about what we believe about God and ourselves and his world. And so what we're going to do today is we are beginning a new series uh, called This I Believe. And over the next couple months, we're going to be using our Core 52 book again. And and we're going to be looking at different beliefs that we have as Christians and why they matter. Because what we need in a world that says you can believe whatever you want to, as long as you don't put that belief onto me. In a world that says that, we need to know what we believe. We need to have a strong, firm foundation on Jesus Christ because the weight of the world will be on us at times. And if we don't have a firm foundation, our foundation will crumble. And so what we're going to do over the next two months is look at what do we believe as Christians and as a church here at Berlin Christian Church. And the first belief we're going to be talking about is this, I believe, loving God matters. Loving God matters. It's very simple, but even before we get to loving God matters, here's what I want you to know. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon, here's what I want you to know. You ready for it? God loves you. God loves you, and God loves me. Before we can ever talk about how we can love God, we have to understand that God loves every single one of us so extravagantly, he loves us so much that he created us. He loves us so much that he was willing to become like us in every single way and to die on a cross for us, to literally take our punishment, our wrath upon himself so that we might live. That's how much God loves you and how much God loves me. So before we can even start talking about how we can love God, we must first talk about how God loves us. And I love what 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says. It says, we love because he loves first loved us. Our love is a response to God's love for us. When we think about Christianity versus all other religions, all other religions are all about what you do. It's all about what I can do to earn my way to God, about what, what I can do to my, earn my way into heaven But Christianity is all about what God has done for you and for me already. He has already died for us. And so we know that God loves us. If you ever question that, I know many of you in here, you just struggle with self-doubt. You struggle with self-confidence. What you need to know is that God loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. It's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has already done for us. And so we must respond in some way to his love. In every relationship, at some point, we have to show that other person that we love them. Here's an example. Um, how many of you are in here are familiar with the five love languages by uh, Gary Chapman? The five love languages, they'll be up on the screen. But basically, the, the premise of this book is that every single one of us, we have uh, one to two primary love languages. So there's uh, words of affirmation, gifts of service, or gifts, acts of service, the other two that are up there, quality time and... Physical touch, which is my number one love language, ironic. So anyways, so basically, uh, we, we all have one to two of these primary love languages, and it took me about seven years, I've been uh, with my wife now, married four years, we've been together over eight years, it took me till about year seven to really realize that one of her uh, love languages was acts of service. And what she hates doing probably more than anything else is the dishes, And so it took me seven years before I realized, oh my goodness, if I do the dishes, it shows her how much I love her. You see, my wife, she already loved me, bless her heart, she got the worst end of this deal, but she already loves me. And so when I do the dishes, it's not to try and earn her love, it's a response to her love, to say, I love you too. And so when it comes to our relationship with God, we have to understand that God loves us already. But at some point, we have to learn to respond to his love by showing him our love in return. And so that's what we're going to do today from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. It's probably a familiar story to you, uh, but what happens in the gospel of Mark is that there are these religious leaders, these pastors who are trying to trip up Jesus, and they want him to do one of two things. First, they want Jesus to say something that's blasphemous. They want him to say something where he's equating himself with God because if Jesus does that, then they're going to kill him. And then secondly, they want Jesus to just have a really bad answer to something. They want to shame him so that his followers feel ashamed and they no longer follow him. And so they're trying to trip up Jesus, but they just can't get him to do it. And then there's this one teacher of the law who's curious about Jesus. And here's what happens. I'm going to read through the whole story, and then we'll break it down piece by piece. But here's what happens. In verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Out of all 613 commandments in the Old Testament, which one is the most important? And Jesus said, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I love this story about Jesus because it shows that he is the greatest teacher of all. And he shows us how to love God, and he he summarizes it by loving God and loving others. But what I want us to see today is what does that look like practically? What does that mean for us to love God with everything we have? And I think the first way that we are shown here is to love God, we learn about God. To love God, we learn about God. Go ahead and look again at verse 29. When Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? He begins by saying the great Shema, which is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, what Chris read for us earlier. He responds by saying this, the most important one is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. When we start thinking about this verses, we so often run towards the love of the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, and that's good, and we're going to talk about that later. But don't forget what Jesus said first. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. For the Jews who would repeat this every morning and every night, this was important because they lived in a world that they were constantly bombarded with other gods. People were trying to get them to worship all of these other gods. And by saying this prayer, this reminded them who their God was, that their God was the one supreme God, that their God was the one who created everything. That their God was the one that chose Israel. That their God was the God who redeemed them out of Egyptian slavery. That their God was the God who was present with them in the wilderness. And that their God was the God that was going to lead them into the promised land. They knew who their God was. And so it led them to worship Him and to love Him. So let me just ask you today, do you know who your God is? Do you know who God is? is because if we want to worship him and love him and follow him with everything we have we need to know who he is i love what one author says he said this he said you can only love god as far as you know him and as the depth of your knowledge grows so too do the depth of your love and your ability to live in ways that express that love in other words for us to love god well we have to know who our god is The more we know about God, the more we will naturally fall in love with him. And so I think one of the easiest ways for us to figure out who God is, to learn more about him, is to ask one simple question. When you begin reading your Bible, I want to encourage you to ask this one simple question. Who is God? As you're reading through, wherever you are, whether you're in Genesis or all the way in Revelation, ask that one question, who is God? Because I believe the Holy Spirit will inspire you and help you to know who God is. And so that's what I want us to do real quick is to practice together to ask this question. So I'm gonna read a passage from the New Testament and I'm gonna read a passage from the Old Testament. And as we're reading it, I want you to either write down or make a mental note of who God is in these passages. So this time, I don't need your participation to yell anything out. Just write it down or put it in your head. So the first passage is 1 John chapter 4, verses eight through 10. So ask yourself this question, who is God according to these verses? Here's, here's what it says. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So who is God according to these verses? Well, he is a loving God a sacrificial God, a God who is willing to give his one and only son for us. He's a forgiving God. All you have to do is ask that question and you can learn all of these things about who God is. Now let's turn to the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at, um, This is like a pinned tweet in the Old Testament. So these uh, verses about who God is that we're going to read in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, these verses are said in a bunch of different places. And so it's like a pinned tweet for us. But here's what it says, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, begin asking the question, who is God? Write it down, make a mental note. It says this, and he passed in front of Moses, talking about God, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Okay, so according to these verses, who is God? Well, God is a compassionate God, a loving God, a forgiving God, a patient God, but he's also a just God, a God who will make sure that nothing goes unpunished. And so we see here who God is. And what I love about God is that God invites us into this journey with him every single day. As soon as you get out of the baptistry, you do not know everything about God. You can ask a bunch of our teenagers and kids that were baptized at NYR last, uh, last week, when they got out of the waters, I guarantee they didn't go, you know what? I know everything about God. I got it all figured out. Instead, I hope what they f- figured out was, oh my goodness, I don't know much about God. And I have my, the rest of my life to figure out who he is and to learn more about him. God invites us on this journey of a lifetime to learn more about who he is. And I truly believe that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, I truly believe that every single day we will learn something more about God. We'll learn something new and more about God and every single day we will grow in love for him. And so my prayer for us, as we begin thinking about ways that we can love God, my prayer for us comes from Ephesians chapter one, verse 17. This is the apostle Paul. He is praying for the church in Ephesus and listen to what he says in verse 17. This is his prayer and this is my prayer and I hope it becomes your prayer as well. He says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. My prayer is that we would know him better because when we do, we will love him better. To love God, we learn about God. That's number one. Number two, the second thing that I see is to love God, we prioritize God. To love God, we prioritize God. And so, Jesus, after he tells this teacher in the law the beginning of the great Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, he says this love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this love your neighbor as yourself. In a couple weeks, we're going to have a guest preacher, Mark Weber. He's going to be talking to us a little bit more about what it means for us to love others. But what I want us to focus on today is that first part, loving God with everything we have. Because I think what Jesus is showing us here is that we must prioritize him more than everything else. He begins by talking about our heart, the control center of our life. Jesus is inviting us to love him with all of our emotions and feelings. And then he says to love God with all of your soul, with all of your life, with everything that you have available to you. And then he says to love God with your mind, with your thoughts and your thinking and your intellect. And then he he says, love God with all of your strength, with all of your resources, with all of your energy. Jesus is inviting us to prioritize him in every single area of our lives. I'm reminded of a story of the greatest basketball player who ever lived, Michael Jordan, I'll just call him MJ from here on out. It's a lot shorter. And so MJ, he was at a friend's house, and they were going to go out to eat together. But MJ, he forgot his jacket, and so he asked his friend, hey, is it okay if I, if I use one of your jackets? His friend, yeah. He said, yeah, go down the hall and turn to the right. My closet's down there. And so MJ, he goes down to the closet and kind of disappears. And he's gone for like five minutes. Then 10 minutes, almost 15 minutes comes by, goes by, and MJ, he comes back, and in his arms is full of gear, full of hoodies and shirts and shoes, and he drops them at his friend's feet, and then he goes back to the closet, doesn't say a word, goes back to the closet, and he's gone again for another 10, 15 minutes. And then he comes back, arms full of gear again, and he drops them at the feet of his friend, and then he grabs some scissors, And he begins to cut all of the different shirts that his friend has, all of these different jackets. And his friend's freaking out like, what in the world is going on? But you see, when when MJ opened up the closet, what he saw was a closet divided. What he saw was a closet with different allegiances. What he saw was a closet with different priorities. See, on one side was all his Nike gear. MJ was a representative of Nike, but then on the other side was all this Puma gear. And for Jordan, there was no other brand other than Nike. There was no other allegiance other than to Nike. There was nothing else that should be your priority other than wearing Nike clothes. And so he told his friend, he gave his friend his representative's number from Nike, and he said, hey, call my representative. He'll get you all of the Nike stuff that you want but don't you ever let me catch you wearing Puma gear again. I wonder, I wonder what our closets would be like if we opened them up and rather than having clothes, it had our priorities right there. Would we have a t-shirt that said my family? Would we have a t-shirt that said my career? Would we have a t-shirt that said my stuff? None of these are bad things in and of themselves. But what Jesus is calling us to is to prioritize him above everything else. And so I want to encourage you today when you get home to go grab a pair of scissors (laughs) and to begin thinking about your life. What priorities do you have in your life right now that are actually leading you away from Jesus? I want you to know that God loves you so much that he was willing to die for you. But God will not be number two in your life. God wants your undivided allegiance, your undivided priorities, and so will you and will I love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength? To love God, we prioritize God. But lastly, to love God, we obey God to love God, we obey God. Look at verses 32 and following with me. Here's what happens after Jesus says this amazing teaching to this man. He said, well said, teacher, you are right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices." And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared him ask any more questions. And so Jesus, he proved that he really was the master teacher here. But what I want to know, and we're not told, what I want to know is what happens to this man. Does he go and does he live his life prioritizing God? Does he go and live his life and love God with everything he has and loves his neighbor as himself? Or does he walk away? and disobey God. We're not told that information, but I think what Mark is inviting us to do is to think about an earlier story that he's already told. In Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, we're told a story of another young man, sometimes called the rich young ruler. And this young man, he comes up to Jesus, he's all excited, and he says, hey Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And so Jesus begins to tell him some of the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Honor your mother and father. And this man, he's so excited. He says, I've done all that since I was a kid. Are you kidding me? I get to go experience eternal life. But listen to what happens in verse 21 and 22. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack go. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. You see, this young man, he had allowed money and greed to have a hold on his heart. If we would have opened up the closet of this young man's life and seen his priorities, you would have seen shirt after shirt, hoodie after hoodie of, of, that would have said, my money, my possessions, my stuff. And this man was not willing to get the scissors out and cut away these other priorities and listen to what God was calling him to do. Will you listen to what God is calling you to do? Will you listen to what Jesus is calling you to do? Will you trust him enough to obey? Jesus says this in John chapter 14 in one of the most explicit passages when, uh, that tell us how do we love God? How do we actually love God? Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24. He said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. What Jesus is saying there is, do you trust me enough? Do you love me enough to obey what I'm calling you to do, even if it doesn't make sense to you? I'm reminded of a couple months ago, I was talking with a a mentor of mine, J.K. Jones. He preached here uh, this summer and did a great job. But I asked him a question. We were talking about prayer, and I said, What's the goal of prayer? I was pretty proud of myself, to be honest. I was like, that's a really good question. I said, what's the goal of prayer? And being the good mentor that he is, he said, I don't know, Michael, you tell me. What's the goal of prayer? I was like, well, I was really hoping you'd tell me, so I didn't have to answer this question. So uh, I thought about it for just a second, and I said, you know, I think the process of prayer, I think that's the goal. I think the process of leaning in, of trusting Jesus throughout it all, I think that's the goal. I was like, that's good. I was like, well, what do you think? What do you think is the goal of prayer? And he, he paused for a second and he said one word. He said, obedience. I think the goal of prayer is obedience. And as I've thought about that, I think he's right. I think the goal of the entire Christian life is obedience because it shows Jesus that we trust him enough to do whatever he's calling us to do. Right now, Jesus is calling you to do something. It's probably in your head right now, you've been thinking about it, rattling it around for a little bit. What is that thing? Will you trust him enough to listen? Will you love him enough to listen? Maybe for some of you, it's to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe for others of you, it's to step into the baptism waters for the very first time. Maybe for others of you, it's to to go on a mission trip or to go be a full-time missionary in another country. I have no idea what God is doing in your heart, but you do. And so the question that you need to ask and the question that I need to ask is this. Do I love him? Do I love him enough to trust him and obey whatever he's calling me to do? We must open up our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to work to help us to learn more about him to help us to prioritize him in every area of our lives and then to trust him enough to let him teach us how to obey him. What I want you to know is that God loves you and God loves me so we should love him too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for the cross and how you were willing to go to the cross for us. You love us so much, and we come to you, Lord, knowing that we have mistakes, knowing that we have failures, knowing that we have sins in our past, yet you forgive us all the same. So help us, Holy Spirit, to follow whatever you're calling us to do. Help us to trust you enough to obey. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.